Go ahead and grab uh, your copy of God's Word and make your way to John 15. We're going to continue through our series, Believe and Live, uh, through the Gospel of John. This entire book is written for us to believe that Jesus is the Christ, and in believing, we would have life. And what Jesus even says is abundant life in His name. And so it's a good book. It's a rich book for us. And so as we've been walking through it, now we are in John 15. And let me just say, if you are a guest, a special welcome to you. Uh, we're glad that you're here this morning and would invite you to stick six with us, stick six weeks to get to know us as a church, what God has called us to do, our vision, our mission. And if this is where God has called you to take a part to love and to serve Him, then that'd be great. But uh, as you get to hear and know us a little bit over the next six weeks, we get to know you a little bit better. And so just invite you to stick six weeks. And if you are a partner with us in ministry and mission here, just love to talk with you for a second. Uh, we have a, an amazing uh, honor as a church to have two teams that love and serve this church really well, our deacon team, as well as our administrative team. I'm grateful for them. And if you're not familiar, or maybe you're from different churches, um, what those different teams do, our, our deacons here serve so faithfully and have for the last three years when we started Deacons Up it's been amazing to see how they pray faithfully for you. I hope you realize that as a partner, as a church member here, each week they're faithfully praying for you. They've helped us as a church go through different uh, tragedies and loss and caring for families through the midst of that. And that's been amazing to see. But even the day-to-day -day practical side of things, each Sunday they're the ones that are helping um, sometimes set the chairs, sometimes putting them away. Uh, as well as getting the Lord's Supper set for us on those Sundays. And there's so many things behind the scenes that they do. And it's amazing how they lead in this church by serving this church. And so we are, we are very honored to have our deacons. But we also have our administrative team, which they help uh, care for our staff and provide accountability for our finances as a church. And so extremely thankful for them, especially over the last few years and the craziness that has been through COVID and out of that, how they have helped cultivate and shape uh, our finances in such a way that we continue to provide for what we need as a church as well as caring for our missionaries financially. Um, and so what I would say this morning first is if you are a deacon or an A-team member, if you would stand. We had several last hour, but if you would please stand for us this morning. Got a couple. Awesome. We uh, want to say thank you to our deacons and our administrative team members and how they have loved and served our church. So church family, would you with me just applaud them and say thank you. Yeah, y'all have been a blessing not just to this church but to uh, the Epley family and we're, we're very, very thankful for you guys. And with this honor of having these people in leadership place, we also have the great privilege to nominate people that would fill these different roles. And so each of them have a certain tenure time before they rotate off, and we're coming up on that time where some are rotating off. And if you look in the seat back in front of you, you can pull out one of these cards that on one side has a place for you to nominate uh, administrative team members, and on the other side, people that uh, you would nominate for deacons. And I would just strongly encourage you to take that, maybe put it in your Bible, take it home, pray over that, talk to some friends that you might have that meet those qualifications that you see at the top of that index card. And, uh, and submit those to the giving boxes in both Welcome Center and the lobby. Or you can hop on our website and on the main page, just scroll down a little bit and you'll see a place where you can submit those names on, online. And so grateful for this team. Uh, we would not be where we are as a church right now if it wasn't for the faithful serving of these, uh, of these members and their spouses. And so thank you, thank you, thank you. Let me 
pray and praise God for those things, and then we'll dive into to John 15. Father, you are good to provide uh, all that we need. And so, God, thank you for these leaders that you've provided to care and to shepherd your church well. And so, Lord, I pray that in your goodness and your grace, you would multiply leaders like that for us, that we continue to be able to move forward in ministry and mission to the glory of your name. And Lord, I thank you um, even for those that sacrifice and serve outside of those two positions. Thinking about our students who are away on their retreat right now, God, we thank you for those student leaders who have taken time and even some vacation time to go and to serve uh, those students. God, we thank you for those that are serving in kids' ministry right now as we speak, uh, sharing the gospel with our kids. God, we're grateful for those that uh, came early this morning to be a part of our worship team, to serve and to lead us in worship music this morning. Even those that are in the back that we never see that serve on our technical team. God, we're grateful for all of these people that, that serve first because you have served them and loved them. And so, God, thank you for that. And we pray what we've been praying this whole year, Psalm 67, that you continue to be gracious to us and bless us. And, and we pray that you be gracious and bless the leaders here and multiply the leaders here to the glory of your great name. It's in your name we praise you. Amen. Amen. All right, John 15, start in verse 1. And this is Jesus speaking, and this is what he says here. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it would bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. So abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a, a branch and it withers. These branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you. That my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I have commanded you. No longer do, you call me, do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go out and bear fruit and that that fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give to you. These things I command to you so that you will love one another. This is the word of God. As I'm reading this passage this week, uh, this memory keeps coming back in my mind where years ago my daughter and I were working in the backyard in our house up in Raleigh and we had a a small, small garden, 
and garden might be too strong of a word to use for what we had. We had a couple plants that we hoped to get, you know, a little bit of fruit out of. And we put things like zucchini and squash and stuff like that we would plant. Well, I, I'm not a green thumb. I don't know a whole lot about gardening. I do enjoy it, but I'm not great at it. And so I actually start with the plants, not necessarily the seed, because I don't even know how to get the seed to grow into the plant well, right? So I'm out there and I'm planting um, these already small little vines that are growing up for squash and zucchini. So I'm digging a hole and I'm putting it in the hole and I'm covering it up with dirt. And my daughter, who, like I said, is about four years old at the time, something like that, is looking at me doing this. And she says in her mind, I want to help out dad, right? So she goes and she starts to pick up these branches from trees that have fallen off the tree like weeks ago, right? And she starts coming up to our tiny little garden and she's putting the, the tree, the, the little twig in the ground and putting dirt around it, right? I mean, this branch is already old and broken and withered and it's just like, it's, it's dead. It's, it's been dead for a while. But she looks and she sees, she's like, I just kind of want to plant something. And in Epley family, we call these teachable moments, right? And so we're like, okay, babe got to help you understand a little bit about gardening. I don't know a lot, but a little bit about gardening. And that, that branch right there, it's not been connected to the tree, and so it's dead. It can't grow any roots. It's not going to grow any fruit. It's not connected at all. It's just a, it's a dead branch. But this one is, is alive. The one I'm planting is it's connected. It has roots that go into the ground. It has a vine that comes up, and hopefully over time it'll bear some fruit. Helping my daughter understand some of that. And I'm thinking, even in this moment, that Jesus is speaking in John 15. This is what he's trying to do with his disciples. He's trying to help them understand a much richer, a much deeper truth than just gardening. But he's going to start with gardening. He's going to start with this whole picture of a vine. And what's amazing is we don't know for 100% where Jesus said these words, but we saw in the end of chapter 14, Jesus makes this statement to his disciples in the upper room, arise, let us go from here. And he left from there and he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. So I just wonder in this moment if Jesus is standing there and he's looking at a vine there in that garden. He's like, I want you guys to understand this deep, rich truth that you have to be connected to me. You have to believe in me. If not, you won't have life. So believe and live. And Jesus in this passage, as he talks about this vine and the vine dresser, he uses the word abide 11 times in these 17 verses that I read. 11 times. That's important. He keeps saying abide, abide, abide. And abide is a beautiful word. It's where we get that word abode from in our language, right? Where, where we look and we're like, somebody who abodes with us, they live with us. They reside with us. They stay with us. Somebody who abides with me or abodes with me is not somebody who comes in and shares a cup of coffee with me or has a meal at my dinner table, but somebody that, that lives in my house. What Jesus is saying right here is, you have to abide in me. You have to, to do life with me. We have to be connected together. I think one of the greatest ways for us to understand what abiding looks like very practically and very tangibly for us today is found for many of us in our pocket right now, or our purse. If we think about this for a minute, our phones, this is what abiding should look like. I mean, think about this. The average person, statistics tell us, the average person spends three hours and 15 minutes a day on their phone. That's not any other screen time, that's just their phone. 
Statistics say that we, on average, as Americans, check our phones 58 times a day. 58 times a day, right? That also shows through surveys that they've done that phones are the very first thing that we look at when we wake up in the morning. And it's the very last thing we look at at night before we go to sleep. Now that's abiding. (laughs) That's an intimate relationship, right? The last thing you set your eyes on are your phone at night. The very first thing you look at in the morning is your phone. Like, that's abiding. We, we, We take this with us. We are connected to our phones. I mean, this might have happened to you even this weekend. You were going to make a quick run to the store, and you got a mile down the road, and you're like, oh my goodness, I completely forgot my phone. Do you go without it? No, there's anxiety and stress, right? Like, turn the car around. We're going back. I got to get my phone, right? We are so connected to this thing. Jesus is trying to show us in the same language, let us abide in him. Let us abide in him. Let us be connected to him. Let it be a part of our life. I mean, it blows my mind to think about. I mean, do we wake up in the morning and instead let the first thing that we think about is him and praying to him? The very last thing that we would do at night is to pray and to think about him. And that's what abiding looks like. Throughout our day, instead of checking our phone 58 times, what if we took even a portion of those and we prayed or we thought about God's truth? This is what abiding looks like in Christ. God's Word talks about that the church is the body of Christ, right? It's the body being connected together. And even says that it's a bad thing when we're disconnected, that we need to be connected. And yet, statistics once again say that the average American only goes to church two out of five Sundays. Two out of five Sundays we come and are a part of the church. If this is the body and we're supposed to be connected and we're supposed to abide in Christ, how are we abiding in the body of Christ if we are only there two out of the five weeks? I mean, think, think about that. In five weeks, I don't know what the math is on that, but if we spend three hours a day on our phone, what does that equate to over five weeks' time? And yet with the community of God, the body of Christ, we'll give two hours in five weeks. I've just seen it in my own heart, in my own soul, that being a part of this body and connecting and praising God and doing community together, I need for my soul just as much as I need food and water for my body. We need this. God has created us to be in community. The first thing he said when sin entered, or the first thing he said after creation, when he created all things good, was it's not good for man to be alone. And yet we are choosing isolation instead of abiding, abiding in Christ and abiding in community. Church, this is what Christ is causing us to pause and to think about this morning. He wants us to think about abiding in him. And in this passage, as he calls us to abide in him, He's going to show us gifts that we get as we abide in him. That's the beauty of God. He doesn't just say do things, and I'm not going to tell you why. Many times he says, I want you to do these things because it's good for you. It's healthy for you. And in this passage, Jesus is going to say three gifts that God gives us as we abide in him. As we abide in him. And the first one is this first gift we find is those who abide in the Lord experience the blade of the Lord. 
<laughs> as you write out that point, or as you think about that point, you'll be like, oh, wait a second, Ryan. That, don't, that doesn't sound like a gift. Like you experience the blade of the Lord, the knife of the Lord. Like this is a gift that God has given us for those who abide in him. Yeah, that's what Jesus says. That's where Jesus starts. Jesus starts and he gives this image. He's like, I'm the vine. My, my father is the vine dresser. You are the branches. And then he gives this picture in verse 2 where he's like, hey, there's a pruning that's going to happen. When you abide in me, when you connect to me, then there's going to be times where God the Father is going to prune in your life. You see, God in his infinite wisdom looks and examines our life and he removes things that are not healthy for us. And this might not feel like a gift when it's happening, but usually when we look in the rearview mirror of our life and we look backwards, we start to see those pruning moments were actually for our good. You see, the reason why we look at pruning moments and we're like, no, I don't want that to happen, many times we look at good things that God has given us and we're like, no, 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 that doesn't need to be pruned. Why are you taking that thing away from me, God? And we were like anxious or mad that that thing's been taken away. And the reason why we think like that is because we think like how we're created. We think like branches. We don't think like the gardener. The branch would never say, hey, please cut this part off. No, but the gardener in his wisdom looks and, and says, no, that's not healthy. I need to prune that area. I mean, if we could go to a vineyard after it's been pruned... We would look at it and be like, oh my gosh, like that gardener had no idea what he was doing. Like he chopped everything off and we would walk around that vineyard and we would look at the ground and be like, look at these, these clusters of grapes that are laying on the ground. Look at this, these leaves that have fallen off. Like he cut these branches off and we would look in that moment with our untrained eye and be like, he's, the gardener's killed it. He's killed it. But to a trained person, to a gardener who knows, a, a skilled gardener who knows what he's doing. The gardener knows that he's never going to cut anything off that would not have already been a loss to keep and a gain to lose. Let me say that again. A skilled gardener will look at his vineyard and he's never going to cut off anything. He's never going to prune anything back that would not have been a loss to keep anyway or a gain to lose. The gardener looks at our life and he pulls different things away from us because he has a wisdom. He has a view that we as the branch do not have. We just don't. And we have to look and trust the Lord as our gardener. We need to trust in him. If we don't trust in his wisdom and his power and his might, what will happen as he comes in our life with that blade, we won't see it as a gift. We'll begrudge him for it. We'll resent God for pruning areas of our lives. We'll look at that blade and, and begrudge him for it. And church family, this is an application I would give you today. Do not begrudge the gift of the blade. Do not begrudge it. The reason why we need this application for our lives is because we are just not built this way. Especially us as Americans. And let me say it like this. If myself included, if our goal in life if our goal in life is success or comfort, success or comfort, if that is your goal, that is your purpose, that's why you live, that's why you sacrifice in the different areas of your life for success and comfort, then you will always, always, always begrudge the Lord for pruning in your life. You will. 
Because what pruning does is it cuts back so that you have less. That doesn't seem like success. It's painful when things are pruned out of our life. And so if you're idle, your, your life is about comfort, and that's what it's ultimately about. When God comes in and he prunes something out of your life, you'll resent him for it. You'll begrudge him for it. You won't see it as a gift. Instead, your heart will be hardened to the work of the Lord. Now, pruning is painful, but it is not without purpose. God knows. God knows what he's doing as he prunes in these moments. And even as I'm thinking about my life, I can think back over years. Think back over years where God pruned things in my life. Things that I would have said are good things. Things that I love. Things that I cherished. And they weren't necessarily bad. They were good things. But I had taken these good things and I had made them a God thing. I made them a God thing. And God looks at that moment and he says, that's that good thing. Now you're, you're worshiping. I'm taking that out. I'm taking that away. So that you will rely on the vine again. So that you will look to the vine for your nourishment and sustenance. And even this week, I would say for years I've never thanked God for those things. But as I'm reading this passage this week, I'm pausing to thank God for things that he did decades ago in my life. Things that he removed in order to get me where I've gotten today. But I can remember, and maybe some of you are here right now, I can remember moments like that where God is pruning things in my life. And it's almost like, God, are you there? Do you care what's going on in my life? I've got all this pain and this suffering. Do you care what's going on in my life? And you feel like God is distant and he's absent, or even worse than that, that he's a sadist and that he enjoys punishing you for things. And that's what we're tempted to think in the midst of pruning. But think about this analogy for a moment. That thought that creeps in our mind that the our God is far and he's distant and he's not there, doesn't fit with this analogy. The gardener is never closer to the vine than when he's pruning it. He's looking at it and he's examining it. He's, he's touching it. He's trimming back different areas and different places. You see, we think it's distance and that it's painful and he's never been near. He's never been closer to us in the midst of that pain as he prunes things away for a purpose and a plan. So may we not begrudge him. May we not think he's distant. May we know that he is near. And if anything would ever creep in our mind where we would start to resent God or begrudge God for pruning in our lives, may we remember who is speaking these words in this moment. May we remember his great sacrifice for us and his great love for us. Jesus is the one that is speaking these words right now. Jesus is going to go to the cross and to die for our sin in our place. Church family, this is the good news. This is the encouragement. We might be pruned, we might be cut back, but we will never be cut off. And the reason why is because Christ was cut off in our place. He would go to the cross and bear our sin and our shame. And literally he would say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me in this moment? He was cut off so that we would only have to be cut back. So if you're ever wondering, God, do you love me? God, do you care? Would you remember in the midst of those pruning moments, the one who spoke this, the one who loves you, the one who gave his life for you. May we not doubt the goodness of God in the midst of pruning moments. This is a gift from God. When he does this, he does it for a purpose. Jesus says when we're pruned, we'll bear even more fruit. 
when we thought we were being pruned back in this area of our life, that we were going to struggle. And actually what happened is we flourished. And this is what God is promising us in this moment as he prunes our life. We don't just find the pruning blade as a gift from God as we abide in him, but we also find the gift of joy. The gift of joy. Those who abide in Christ gain the joy of the Lord. And some of you are like, that sounds much better than the blade. Like, let's just rest here for a little bit, right? And it's a beautiful verse. Verse 11. Look what Jesus says. These things I've spoken to you. What things? Things he just talked about. The pruning back. And some other things that we'll get to in just a second. But he's spoken all these things. What does verse 11 say? That my joy may be in you. And your joy may be full. Now there's two different joys that he mentions in verse 11. Did you see that? First is the Lord's joy. This is the joy of Christ. And I know it doesn't need to be said, but I'm going to say it anyway. The joy of Christ is far, far greater joy than anything we could ever have. It's an infinite joy. It's an eternal joy. And Jesus has that joy. And then he looks and he's like, hey guys, I love you so much, and I'm going to go to the cross for you so that you would have my joy. Not so you can have a joy, not so you can have your own joy, so you can have my joy. That's what he says. And then he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you that joy so that your joy may be full. As God pours his joy into our lives, our lives can't contain it. We can't contain it. So this joy overflows into our lives starts with the salvation of our souls and then spills into every area of our life, this joy. And Jesus is saying, I'm saying these things. Listen up, I'm, I'm saying these things. I've spoken these things so that you would have joy and that your joy would be full. Now that doesn't mean that believers will be entirely free from sadness. But what it does mean is that the ground of our joy in Jesus is far greater than that of the dread and the anxiety and the grief that we will face. He has a joy that will overflow our hearts and our lives. Now we could spend time talking about all the different reasons that we have joy in Christ. But let me just highlight a couple that Jesus says in this moment. We find that our true joy comes from being loved and not condemned. Our joy that is based in Christ comes with the fact that we are loved and we are not condemned. Let's start with the not condemned part. If you look back at verse 6, Jesus makes this statement. And this is, this is honestly a harsh statement. This can be a heavy statement. And Jesus has a lot of stress in his life right now as he's just hours away from going to the cross. But he still makes this statement right here in verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. Branches are gathered together and are thrown into the fire and are burned. This is the condemnation for our sin. Jesus is using this analogy of the vine and the branches and all that to, to help us understand if we're not connected, then all we have is eternal punishment and condemnation for our sin. Just like a gardener will scoop up branches that are dead and withered and throw them into the fire, those who are not connected to the true vine, Jesus Christ, will also be scooped up and thrown into an eternal hell. Now, I'd love for us just to get in here and say, well, 
Jesus just sends everybody to heaven. It doesn't matter what you believe or what God you believe in. But that's not what Jesus says. And it is not my job to come in here and edit God's word. I didn't go to college. I didn't go to seminary to come in here and say, well, God, I know you got this wrong. Let me cut out these pieces and let me just say what should have been said in this passage. That is not my role as a pastor. I come in here and I'm just the mouthpiece of what God's word says. And so, yeah, it'd be great just to skip over this part. But Jesus doesn't, and neither should we. Jesus talked about hell more than he talked about heaven. And listen to this. It's not because Jesus hates you that he talks about hell. It's not because Jesus is like, well, I just can't believe these people and I just hate them. So I'm going to talk about hell so that they feel all the condemnation. No, Jesus spoke about hell so that we could believe and live. So that we wouldn't have to face condemnation. This passage right here, too, let me be clear, because there is some confusion within churches. This passage is not teaching that we can lose our salvation as Christians. That's not what it's saying. We are safe and we are secure in Jesus. And Jesus, multiple times, has made a point for us to know that to be true. And John has highlighted it multiple times in his gospel. John chapter 6, verse 37, Jesus says this, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Never cast out. Once we are connected to the vine, we will never lose our salvation. John chapter 10, verse 27 through 30. Jesus speaking again, my sheep follows me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Jesus has made sure if you're connected to the vine, if you've been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, you can never lose that salvation. Never. And yet, don't we know some people that have wandered from the faith? I believe it's because we can't lose our salvation, yes, but we can't fake it. And there have been many people that have done a great job of faking whether they've been connected to the vine or not. Judas, in the Bible, is one of them. Walked with Jesus for years. Every sermon he heard was from Jesus. He faked it. Guys, we cannot lose our salvation, but we can't fake it. Do not do that. It's not where you're going to find life. It's not where you're going to find rest. It's not where you're going to find joy like Jesus is promising in this passage. It's important for us to know that the cost for not following Christ is incredibly high. It's incredibly high. Jesus is saying here, you will be thrown into the fire and burned. Not for a moment, but for all eternity. Scripture is clear that every person in this room, every person in the history of the world will spend life eternally somewhere, either in heaven or in hell. It's the reality. And we can have joy today knowing, knowing that what awaits us is heaven and not condemnation. In this moment, what awaits us today is a a Savior with open arms, with grace and mercy, not condemnation and judgment for our sins. Now is the time we can come to Him, be connected to the vine. And believe. And Jesus is going to speak this harsh truth in verse 6. But like I said, he does it out of love and not hate. Look at verse 9. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. 
Church, if you want to wake up in the morning and think about a thought, verse 9 is a great thought to let settle in your mind. If you want to go to bed at night and settle abiding in Jesus, man, verse 9 is a great verse for you to think about. Don't read too quickly on it. Slow down and look at what Jesus is saying. Do you see what Jesus is saying in verse 9? It should blow our minds. As the Father has loved me. Who? Jesus. As God the Father has loved God the Son, Jesus says, so have I loved you. How does God the Father love God the Son? Perfectly. Perfectly. How does Jesus love you? Perfectly. He does it perfectly. And he says, abide in my love. Would you meditate, marinate on this truth of the love of God? He did all that he did, not because he hated you, but because he loved you. And he wanted you to come to him to be saved and to rejoice, have joy in that salvation. And I love this love. I love this love. Because this love of, of, of God for us is not a love that we achieve, but it's a love that we receive in him. Later on, Jesus is going to say in verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. I chose you. What that means is we didn't come to God in a beauty contest with all of our good moral works, and we're like, look at my life, how clean and how orderly everything is. Would you love me now? No, Jesus is like, I saw you in your sin and your rebellion and your running away from me, and I chose you. I loved you. That's why he's called the friend of sinners, not the friend of those who can fake it until they make it. That's not it. He loves us and cares for us. And so application for this gift that he's given us, let us praise Jesus for this joy. Let us praise Jesus for this joy that we find in abiding in him. And don't get confused over this joy that I've been talking about. Don't confuse joy and happiness. Happiness is found in happenings in your life. Joy is found in Jesus. Joy is found in abiding and connecting in the vine. Happiness is a good thing. I hope you have, find lots of happiness in your life. But that's not where joy is found. Happiness is found in external circumstances that will change through different seasons of life. But joy is found in Jesus. And in him alone. This is important for us to grasp because maybe you have been trying to find your joy in being connected to other vines. Maybe you look at your life and you're like, man, I've been trying to find my joy being connected to the vine of my kids or my grandkids. That's where I thought my joy was going to come. And as those kids grew up, they didn't enjoy hanging out with you as much or they talked back to you or they embarrassed you. Right? And that joy was lost and it withered in that. Or maybe you, you looked at your life and the vine you're trying to connect your life to is your career. Let me move up the ladder and ratchet it up. And that's where I'm going to find my joy and my satisfaction is in that area. And as you've climbed the ladder, you found that there's nothing at the top and you've lost your joy. Maybe it was in perfection. If I can just connect and have a 4.0 GPA, connect my my, my life to that vine of the perfection of my, my grade point average or my health or my beauty. That's the vine I've connected to. 
Jesus would look at all that and say, you're not going to find joy there. What you're going to find is sin there. You're not going to find the, the complete rest that you long for. You're going to find lacking. But when we connect to Jesus and we find our joy in him that supersedes our circumstances and happenings in life, we will find joy first in our salvation through the love instead of condemnation. But through that joy of salvation, what we'll find is that there's a nourishing joy that flows into every other area of our lives because it's found in the vine of Jesus Christ. He's the one we have to connect to. So yes, we have the gift of the blade, we have the gift of joy, but lastly we have the gift of the friendship of the Lord. Those who abide in Christ find friendship of the Lord. In verse 13, Jesus says, no greater love than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Now we know because we're on this side of the cross that Jesus makes that statement and he's about to go lay down his life for them. He's about to give his life and what Jesus is doing in this moment as he makes that statement and then in a few verses later he looks at them and he says, I have called you my friends in verse 15. He's calling them friends. Is Jesus reshaping and reorganizing our view and our thoughts of, of who God is? He's working to help the disciples understand who the Lord is. And our minds today, hopefully he's reshaping that. Because for many of us, we have looked at God as a boss. He's a boss that's up there and he dishes out all these commands for us. And we just have to obey and do these things. And so he's this mean boss that's up there and I just got to obey because he's told me all these things to do. And he's God, so I have to. He's my master, so I have to. And Jesus in this moment is like, no, 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 you need to understand. I call you friends. I call you friends. Now this doesn't change the fact that Jesus is king. He is king of the universe. But he humbles himself and stoop low to say, you are also my friends. And the disciples would have understood this in a deeper level than even we can understand it today. Because at that time, the Caesar, the emperor, he had a group of people that were called his friends. That was in a title that they had, friends of the emperor, friends of Caesar. And these people had the ability to go and travel anywhere that they wanted to. They could go and talk to the emperor in a moment. They could walk into his bedchamber and talk with him. They could share a meal with him. They could do all of these different things with the king because they'd be given this title. Even the king would come and talk to them and let them know this is the plans of what's going on in the Roman Empire. Even before maybe even some of the, the other workers in the empire knew about it, the friends knew about it. And Jesus is saying, just like that, I'm looking at you and I'm saying, you are my friends. Now, this should drastically change how we do the things that we do. If we know that Jesus is our friend, we don't obey his commands because we're obligated and we have to do it, but because we love him, because he loved us. You can think about it like this. If your boss called you this afternoon and you're like, hey, I need you to come over. I need you to, to get some things done uh, at my house today. I need you to work for me for a little bit off the clock. We'd be like, uh, can we do it in office hours like tomorrow? Like that's when we can do it. Because that's how we work for a boss. But a friend, if you had a friend that called you up and said, man, I, I'm in need. I need somebody to help me right now with this. I, I, I really need some help in this area. For a friend, you're like, okay, I'll go. I'll do that for a friend. And here in this passage, it should be the same for us. 
Jesus looks at the disciples. He looks at us today and he says, you are my friends if you're connected to me. You're my friends if you abide in me. He says that to them. And then he looks at them and he says, in verse 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. He says, as a friend, I want you to love as I have loved you. I want you to look at the friendship love that we have and I want you to share that love with others. So we look and we obey him, not out of someone who's got to have a boss standing over our shoulders telling us what to do. Because there's no greater love than this, that Jesus would lay down his life for his friends. So church family, let us receive the love of Christ and then live out this love of Christ for others. This is what Christ has called us to do as we abide in him. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for this promise that you give us, these gifts that you say we will find if we abide in you. But Lord, we also thank you for the truths that we find through the rest of Scripture. The truths that we find in Romans chapter 5 where it says, While we were weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. You said that one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person some would even dare to die. But Lord, you showed us your own love for us, that while we were still sinners, you died for us. Thank you. Thank you that you are the friend of sinners and that you died for us in our place. God, you've given us love instead of condemnation. And I want to give you a chance today, if you've never prayed and received Jesus, you've never received that love, you've never been connected to that vine, maybe for years you've been faking religion and not have believed in Jesus and connected to him, then today would you receive that love by confessing your sins, the sins where you've connected your life to other vines and they have left you weary and withered, instead come to Jesus and find life, believe in him, and live. And so you take a moment right now, if that is you, to pray that God would save you. That you wouldn't have to face an eternity of hell, separated from him, but that you would have joy and have it to its full for all of eternity. Pray something simple like, I know that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. know that I have wondered and tried to connect to other vines instead of being connected to you. So today, I want to connect to you. I want to connect to you, Jesus, by repenting of my sins and believing that you are Lord. If you pray that, know that you will be called a friend of God. And that you won't have to be cut off, only pruned and cut back as you look more and more like Jesus through time and eternity. Lord, we thank you for the hope that we have in you. We thank you for the life that you gave for us, for this great love, for there's no greater love than this, that you would lay down your life for us. And so, Lord, may we do that for you and for others as we praise and worship you now. It's in your name we pray.